resellers. This is episode number 147 of eBay the Right Way. Today's date is January 10th, 2024. I had to catch myself there. I'm still saying 2023. (laughs) And my guest is Megan. No announcements this week, so let's get started. Welcome back, listeners. I have Megan with us today, who was a little bit um, hesitant to come on, but um, she is living the eBay life, among other things, and is juggling everything beautifully. So I convinced her to come on and share her story. So how are you doing this morning, Megan? I am doing well. Thank you. Great. And tell us where you're located. I am based in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Okay, so just up the road from me. Good. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of good stuff there as far as um, to support your eBay business. Yes, although sometimes I wish I were in a larger city because I think thrifting in Charlotte would be really fun, although probably a lot more competitive. Yes, I have been there a few times and um, they do their stores a little differently, but there's a lot there. So yeah, I feel you on that. So um, let's start off with how you got into eBay. What, what brought you there? So um, my dad was actually the one who suggested that I start looking at eBay because so I left an abusive relationship um, frankly, okay. and I moved in with my parents. And um, I started going to some yard sales, frankly, to look for some stuff, um, you know, to use because I was trying to get out of a bad situation. And because um, I had a, my son was two at the time. So, you know, thrifting for a young child is the way to go. I wish that I had started that when he was an infant because I would have saved so much money. Uh Um, But my dad is an avid Clark Howard listener and he heard (laughs) something on Clark Howard about reselling. Yay, Clark Howard from Atlanta. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And he suggested it. And um, that was really how I got my got my start because I've always loved finding deals. Um, But this was just an extra way, an extra source of income when I frankly really needed it. And now I'm, I'm hooked. I am absolutely hooked. Great. Okay. And how long ago was that? Mm, 2018, I would say that I started dabbling in it 2019 is when I really started getting I don't know serious about it but okay so you've been you've been in it a good four years yes okay and then the cherry on top is that um you're in school getting your master's I am I started that in 2021 I am about to start on my last semester oh good for you this coming January so and are you going to Chapel Hill for that? No, UNC Wilmington. Okay. My niece just graduated from there. Oh, awesome. Yeah. She is a communications major. And um, that is my my sister whose husband just passed away. Um, that's their daughter. So she just graduated in May. And um, she might she might move to a bigger city because she's still in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. And um you know, to get the better job, she's going to need to go to a bigger city, but okay. Good for you. Um, so how far is that commute from where you are? Is it, is it an off, um, is it it a completely online program? Um, I'm getting my master's in clinical research and product development. I've been in the clinical research industry my entire career. Um, but I was in business development working for, um, a company that was based out of the U.S. So I actually switched into the operations side. I work on a sponsor side now, but um, made that transition after I'd started my master's program. But it's really okay, been yeah. A I forget that 
I forget that things are online now. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Day, it's like, where is it? How far do I have to drive? You know, and now it's like, do it from home. Yeah. Good for yeah. You. It's, it's, I mean, even when I went to college, like the idea of doing a class online, it, it didn't, it wouldn't have commute, uh, you know, it wouldn't have worked in my head, but no, mm-hmm. it, it works. So now what is a typical day for a clinical researcher? Like what kind of stuff do you do? Well, um, I work in the office, um, several days a week and, um, so we're, we're doing oversight for some trials that we are running, um, which we outsource to clinical research organizations, but I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, it's good. I'm always connected to my phone so that I can answer emails. I mean, is it I'm like people doing clinical trials or is it products? Well, I mean, we actually have to um, use the word dose. I mean, people use our products um, in a controlled environment to to test. There's different designs. It's it's complicated to try and explain. Okay. Okay. That's fair enough. <laughs> we, only, we only have an hour on this podcast. So. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm like hesitating because I'm like, that's, you don't want me to go down that. Okay. That's good. <laughs> and so that's full time. Yes. And so, and you're going to school on the side and then yes. you have one child. I have one child. And how- I also play tennis a lot. Okay. I don't know how I juggle it half the time. A lot of it is, um, sleep, but Saturdays are my day to yard sale. And that's, okay. that's to answer a question that I feel like you're going to ask later. Yard <laughs> sailing is my main source of, of, uh, or yeah, that's my main source of getting product. Okay. So. Okay. Well, and you're young, you have energy. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a little yeah. bit well rested right now because I'm on break. Okay. Okay, good. So, and you have one semester left. Yes, fortunately, one semester. So, yeah, you you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. You're gonna make it. I see it. <laughs> I cannot wait. When I was getting my degree, and it took me seven years of many different schools, and I was just determined to do it. And I was going full time and working at the bank, and they, you know, had the tuition reimbursement program, and then. Um, I had a relative pass away and left me some money. And I'm like, I'm going to quit my job and just do this last semester. And I thought I had six classes left, but the, um, you know, in the office where they figure out what you need to graduate, uh, they miscalculated. I had seven classes. left, So I took seven classes that I was like, Oh no, I'm not waiting till the fall to graduate. I'm going to do this. And I'm, I knocked it out and it was, it was a lot of coffee and late nights and study groups. And yeah, but, um, so yeah, I feel you on that, you know, just, just a little bit more to go. Yeah. You'll get there. Yes. I, I've got my, the second half of my capstone project left to do in one traditional course left and it's going to be a lot, but we're going to do it. We're going to get through it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's, um, hop over to the eBay topic. Um, so you posted some pretty good sales in the past couple of weeks. I did. And it which is great. why I was like, who is Megan? I need to reach out to her. <laughs> Do you want to talk about those first? Yeah. Um, so this fall, frankly, has just been insanely busy. A lot of it, November, for example, it was really busy with travel. I had a tennis tournament to go to. We were gone for the week of Thanksgiving. So we were gone two Saturdays in a row. And then I had another weekend where I guess it was raining, couldn't do anything. But the point of sharing all of that is I did not get to go to a yard sale at all in the month of November. And I was very sad. So, and then the half marathon was the first weekend of December, although there were no yard sales, because again, it was rainy. So I was lucky to have two yard sales, or I should say two weekends of potential yard sales where it decided not to rain, fortunately. Um, but there were literally only one yard sale in town. 
both of those weekends. And the first one that I went to, I found it on Facebook. And the reason that I was intrigued was there was, there were pictures of Piedmont Airlines, which I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, yes. I remember Piedmont. So I saw some memorabilia from Piedmont and I was intrigued. So I got up not even as early as I normally do um, for yard sale and decided to head over there. And they had several items. I actually bought my dad a model airplane from that yard sale um, for Christmas that I gave to him yesterday and he loved but one of the things that I picked up was a Pan Am. It just looked like a, a gauge that would be on an airplane. I had no idea that it was a thermometer at the time, but I just picked it up. It was a couple dollars. I think I found out, you know, when it was time to pay for everything and couldn't find any comps for it on eBay, but I listed it that day, just shot out a number of $250 and it sold within a day or two. I could not believe it. Wow. Um, and then the following weekend, there was again, only one yard sale in town, fortunately close by. And I did, I went there a little early. I felt bad. Um, but this was the thing that I found right at the end of the yard sale. Um, I say the end the like I've been there for probably 45 minutes. And I think my son actually was the one, my son is 10 and he loves going thrifting with me, but he just happened to like pull this little box out. It was a fossil watch and it said college football playoff and uh, peach bowl on it, but it was a watch, you know, labeled for the peach bowl. Had no idea, but I was like, that's unique. We're going to pick that up. So got it home, was looking up for comps on eBay, could not find a comp for anything, but I ended up doing a broader Google search and saw that one had sold for $545 on like a specialized sports website. So I went with that price, put it on eBay, used the promoted listing and it sold within two days. Someone had initially offered, because I almost always use the offer feature, they list or they offered me like $325 for it and I just ignored it. And then a day later, it sold for, for, for full price. So I was very good. I was very happy. Now, so. um, what per, do you remember what percentage you did the promoted listings? So with the the watch in particular, I regret not paying more attention to it because it did sell through the promoted listing and eBay took like a hundred and thirty some dollars of profit between sales and then um, the promoted listing aspect. So, but it worked. So I'm happy about that. But yeah, you still walked away. With I, I still walked had. away with, you know, a good profit because I paid basically nothing for that watch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I don't remember what percentage. It was just whatever eBay recommended for that particular. Oh, I see. Okay. So do you use promoted on all of your listings? Not all. Um, but for that one, I felt like it was going to be beneficial because it was such a niche item. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. My logic may not make sense, but it well, is. and you know, there's there's two schools of thought on the very unusual items that don't have any competition. Is is you don't really need promoted listings because they're going to find it anyway. Yeah, if, it's, if there's not a lot of competition, or you just want to bump it up and get it in front of people and do the promoted listing. Yeah, it's just. But like you said, you still walked away with more money than you had the day before. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, maybe lesson learned is first time you list it, don't do the promoted listing, see what happens just on its own organically. And then if it's, if it sits and sits, then start playing around with the promoted listings and gradually increasing the percentage and stuff like that. And that is typically more what I do. I won't list it promoted, but 
I think part of my whole thought process too is it's right before Christmas. Let's try and yeah, move stuff before yeah. it slows down a little bit. Do the quick flip. Well, mm-hmm. still great sales. So um, how many items do you have in your store? Again, I have not been able to pay attention to eBay as much as I have in years past. Um, so well, and I that's, don't that's, even have 60 items right now. That's the point of this is showing that you can fit it in if you want to. Um, and yes. you've got a child to take care of. You've got your job. You've got school. And you've got eBay when you can do it. And, um, you know, this podcast is about the eBay lifestyle. It's not about who sells the most stuff because everybody does it differently. And I feel like the universe is on your side because, you know, you got those two big sales right before Christmas and um, that worked out perfectly for you. It did. It worked out. It worked out great. And I think my whole perspective on it is I do eBay and I go to the yard sales because I love the thrill of the hunt. I also like finding value in things where other people, the seller may not find value. And I also like the whole aspect of things finding a second life when someone is done with the item. But um, it's just, it's a skill that I am trying to continue to learn and refine my skills in that manner, even though I am still not able to do it as much as I would like to right now. Well, and that's everybody. I don't care how many hours a week they work. You know, if they're putting in eight hour days or like they still want to do more because mm-hmm. it's just it's endless possibilities. It's not like working in a job where you're paid hourly and no matter how hard you work, you're going to get paid the same. Yes. Um, this is it really is. The more you do, the more you make. Yes. And so. I think, you know, everybody that's into this sees that the potential and Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you do hit a wall regardless of how many items you have for sale, you hit a wall, but um, you know, all the, the heavy hitters, I call them the, you know, um, Casey. Yeah. I love watching his sales. He he, he admits he's got like a thousand items that aren't listed, you know, because he just, he loves the hunt and he just, gets the stuff and stockpiles it. And then like George Kelly, you know, he's got the experience in the estate sale business, but he doesn't keep, but maybe 50 items listed. He just does it as he feels like it. He's retired and, um, you know, not relying on that money as Mm -hmm. much other people, but, um, you know, you just, you can make it your own. And I just threw out those two examples off the top of my head because I know these guys and I've known them for a long time. And, it's just um, however you want to do it, you know? Yeah. There's, but don't compare yourself to other people because right. everybody's life is different. Like you said, you didn't get to go thrifting or shopping in November. Well, neither did I. You know, I was tied up with family business and stuff. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready now for, um, we're recording this the day after Christmas. I'm ready for January when the thrift stores are blowing up with stuff because of all the year end donations. Yes. And yes. that's like prime time to find things because, um, everybody's, you know, trying to get their donations in by December 31st to get that tax receipt. So January is a pretty good month for finding items. So, yes. um, but just, you know, for, for you and for the listeners, don't compare yourself to other people. Everybody's life is different and um, things change. You know, life blows up sometime and you, that it does eBay on the back burner. Yes. Yeah. I I look at it as my secondary little fun source of income at this point in my life. With the goal of eventually expanding upon it. Um. I call that eBay, eBay gravy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Just just a little extra. Yeah. It it will be paying for my trip to Spain this year. Oh, good for you. When is that going to happen? In May, my, um, one of my best friends, um, she just moved to London for a job, but she was a world traveler before that because she had a job in international college admissions. 
but her uncle has a house in Mallorca, Spain, and we're going to celebrate her 40th birthday in Mallorca. So that is going, eBay is going to pay for my trip to Spain. And I'm glad that you have proclaimed that because now all the sales are going to start coming. I love that. <laughs> yeah, the universe is on your side. <laughs> so um, do you have any other items you want to talk about that you sold? Um, I think one of the coolest pieces that I have sold was another Piedmont Airlines piece. And it was an old, like a wooden sign that would have been in an airport terminal. So it would have been, you know, at the terminal gate, you know, it said Piedmont Airlines. And that was one of those pieces that you're, I just, I I don't expect to ever come across that again. Right. Um, and that sold for, I want to say like $600 or something like that. And I paid $2 for it. Um, Are you near the Raleigh-Durham airport? No, but, you know, Piedmont was based here in Winston-Salem. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, I forgot that. Okay. And when did they go defunct? They got acquired by U.S. Airways. Right. In the late 80s, early 90s. I don't remember. U.S. Air stuff. Do you see any of that? No. No, I don't ever see any of that. Um, And really a big draw around here. I'm actually surprised, or I guess it's the Facebook algorithm showing it to me, is I will see a lot of Piedmont Airlines items in on Facebook Marketplace because this was this was the hub for it. So right, the area. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be fun to come across like a flight attendant uniform? And I've seen like the jumpsuit. Um, actually, I did. I sold a flight attendant. A Piedmont Airlines flight attendant uniform one time. You did? I did. And I, the lady, I know exactly where she lives. Obviously, I'm not going to say where she lives. But um, she was an ex-flight attendant um, for Piedmont. And I bought it from her. And I don't remember what I sold it for, but I did. Okay. But one of the other coolest sales that I've ever had was... Um, a lady who was moving and she was a Barbie collector, not really by choice, but because a rich friend of hers kept gifting her these silkstone Barbies and she was moving. And, you know, I told her that I was reselling and she just cut me a deal. I ended up selling, like buying a whole bunch of Barbies at $20, $25 a piece. And I made several thousand dollars from that one transaction of profit after, because I probably spent like $700 on Barbies. And did you research them individually or a lot of them? I okay. did. Because one was like a Kate Spade Barbie. One was a, um, like a makeup um, set man. However, had I known that the Barbie movie was going to, you know, come out oh. in 23, I would have held on to those for, you know, several years, but you know, well, I mean, you got your money. Yes. I'm still them. Them. collectors got them. Yes. Um, yeah. We can't beat ourselves up over what could have been because I always say you make the best decision you can with the information you have in that moment. Cause 100%. tomorrow might be different, but how could you possibly know? 100%. And I've heard that uh, people go into that movie, they bring their Barbies. <laughs> I saw the movie in the theater, but I didn't oh, you did. see anyone carrying a Barbie in, but that would make sense. I could see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a thing. Um, Yeah. It's all over the place and they come up with that word Barbie core. Yeah. Like cottage core, but it's Barbie Mm -hmm. core and it's all the pink and the bauble earrings and the, you know, anything that relates to that look. 
Um, it's it's fun to try to keep up with these words they invent. Whoever yes. they, you know. <laughs> And then you you plug them into eBay and it's like, okay, yeah, people are using these words. So, okay, that's fun. Now the collector or the person you got them from, they just, they just had a large amount of Barbies or were they a collector? She was a collector just because her friend would literally buy her and like their friend group these silk stone Barbies. So she had a display case. So a lot of them were out of the box, but she had all the boxes and the paperwork to go with each of them. And she really didn't care about them. She just wanted them gone as she mm-hmm. was, she was moving out of town. But that was one of those instances where I found that it was better just to, you know, say, yes, I'm a reseller, you know, is there a, you know, can we cut a deal so that we can both, you know, have a, make some money on this. Right. Yeah. And for collectors or anybody with stuff, it's a lot of times it's not about the money. It's, it's about, they got to rehome the stuff, get Mm -hmm. it somewhere because they're moving, you know, it's, it's a time sensitive thing. It's a sense of urgency yeah, got to deal with it if they don't want to take it. And um, yeah, those are the situations we like. Yes, <laughs> very much. Yeah. So, okay. Well, um, do you have anything else you want to talk about? You know, I was, it was funny because I was scrolling through <clears throat> Facebook last night right before bed you know what everyone should do no I'm being fantastic there (laughs) yeah that really helps you go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) and there was an advertisement about how omnicord synthesizers are being brought back like Suzuki is making them again and I'm like oh I sold one of those and I found my record where I bought it for $20 on the outskirts of town. And I sold that for $395. So, and I was, I, it got me thinking, I wonder now if the market for those is going to drop significantly because they're going to be remaking them. They won't be as rare anymore. Well, That'll be interesting to see because sometimes people just want the old one. Exactly. They want the exact one they had or are they going to be made as well? Exactly. I thought about all of that too. Are they going to sound the same? Mm -hmm. Because we all know that modern reproductions can be pretty crappy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And are they going to price it the same? Are they going to make it more affordable? Um, you know, smaller, not made as well, so they can price them lower and make their money on volume. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely have to watch the market for Omnicord. And for people who don't know what that is, O-M-N-I-C-H-O-R-D. It's it's like a handheld synthesizer, I guess. Um, it, it does have some piano keys and it's got all these buttons and um, it's just like a fun musical instrument. Yeah. I had no idea what it was. I just saw that it was unique. And then I looked it up on eBay real quick and I was like, I'm going to buy this. Good for you. Okay. You've, you've hit on some great things. One random thing that I found two of this year but I don't think that I'd ever seen them in the wild is a Vitamix. Oh, okay. Um, and I say, I don't, I have never seen them in the wild. Obviously I see them at Costco all the time, but at, you know, in terms of at a yard sale situation, right. I found two of them two weekends in a row over the summer. One was $15 and one was 30. Mm-hmm. They were the same model. I ended up keeping one for myself. Used it of yesterday to make chocolate mousse, but the mm. other one was a nice flip. <laughs> yeah, I have one and I love it. I use it almost every day to make, you know, green smoothies and stuff. You can make soup. You can, mm-hmm. you can make anything in there. You can, 
like put in um, a little trick I learned for making coleslaw because we like coleslaw down here in the South. Um, you put in like a fourth of a head of cabbage and water and then you pulse it for literally like 15 seconds. And then you dump it out in a strainer and you've got that perfectly shred, uh, chopped, really fine cabbage. Um, it's not messy and you don't have to sit there and chop it by hand. So, yeah. That's, That's awesome. I, I love, I love um, coleslaw, but it's a, it's a pain to make it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you can use that Vitamix for anything. Well, I, I realized looking at my spreadsheets from the past couple of years that I've gotten a lot pickier about what I will buy and resell just as a function of my time is precious to me. Um, and obviously I'm pointing out some of the, the higher sales, but I feel like I've also been really surprised this year at the number of things that I've bought relatively, I mean, very inexpensively, which is the whole point of eBay, but the amount that they sell for, like, for example, I got a vintage Gucci watch with, um, interchangeable bezels earlier this year. Um, she wanted $5 for it. And she was like, she was like, yeah, this is, this is legitimate Gucci. It's probably worth something. And was like, yeah, I'm only selling it for $5. And what did I sell that for? Did you have it authenticated? Um, No, I didn't. But it came in like the original box and everything. Okay. Okay. Um, And, the, and it came with extra bezels. And that sold for $395. And well, I did actually take it to a jeweler to have the battery replaced. And he okay. confirmed he had seen a million of them and he was like, yes, this is, this is real. Did I get it professionally authenticated through a third party service? No. Okay. Well, that's, I'm just throwing that out there for the listeners. Cause this is eBay the right way. So whenever yeah, you sorry. have those, those, <laughs> no, 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 you did the right thing. Um, and I'm not judging how you did it at all. I'm just want to make sure the listeners know when you have something that is um, a high-end brand like that, that could be faked and watches, sunglasses, and blue jeans are the worst to be faked. So um, if you do find a high-end, you know, get, get another opinion, have it authenticated or do like you did, take it to the jeweler and, you know, they confirm that it is authentic. Um, and I feel like eBay is. Um, like the $300 range wouldn't really be suspect to um, being pulled for, you know, being fake. Um, Cause you know, I've gotten into handbags and that's something I absolutely did not ever do because there were so many fakes and, and I don't do coach and Prada and those highly fake brands. I've had very good success with Brighton this year. Um, yeah, they could be faked, but if if they're the counterfeiters are going to fake something, they're going to do stuff that's going to bring them a lot of money. Yeah, you know they're not going to fake a uh, Patricia Nash handbag that goes for three hundred dollars. Yeah, so I feel like the the threshold is a little bit higher now. If you stay under five hundred dollars, and then eBay does have that um, authentication thing that pops up if you are listing a brand that could be. Um, is highly faked. Um, and so like for me with the handbags, um, that's never come up because I'm not um, I'm not selling brands that are on the radar or the price is under the threshold. So it's it's evolving a little bit better now. I just for the listener want to say, you know, be cautious with that because um, what happens with the stuff that can be faked is your competitors are watching and they will report you yeah. or something that looks fake or eBay is watching and they, you know, it it may have a trigger word in there where it falls into their, um, their net of, you know, listings they want to look at closer and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just, 
a few extra steps to make sure that your listing isn't pulled, your account isn't frozen, you know, all the things that can happen that happen every day to people. Um, you know, just be careful. And and you you did. Well, and I um I purchased a I say with air quotes a Louis Vuitton. It was a vintage case, like a suitcase type bag. And the lady I bought it from, it was in the very wealthy part of town. She had received it as a gift and was told that it was authentic. I was not sure. I did a lot of research on it. I couldn't find anything. I did end up sending it off to a third party authenticator. And they came back and said, no, it was not real. But it was so old, I don't know whether or not that service was able to tell or not. But I ended up just selling it at a yard sale and getting my $20 that I had into it out of it, which kind of hurt a little bit, thinking that maybe it was still worth more than, you know, what I could have potentially sold it for. But I, again, because of what you just said, um, there was one time where I sold something that apparently I shouldn't have sold on eBay and I got a, a warning letter and I was like, I'm not doing this again. So I'm much more careful about that now. Do you remember what that item was? Yeah, I do. I don't want to say well. Do you want to share that or not? <laughs> it was a medical device. <laughs> okay. Okay. Which in the industry that I'm in, I should have known better and I didn't even think. Okay. It, so. so was it something that required a prescription? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's the um, boundary line for medical stuff is if it requires a prescription, can't sell it, you know, so contact yeah. lenses and um, anything like that, that has a prescription, don't do it. Yeah. I didn't think about it needing a prescription. And then I felt really bad for trying to sell it on you. Well, but that's, that's the learning curve. It is. And somebody out there is going to hear this and they're you're educating other people and you're sort of paying it forward. Even though you got <laughs> in trouble, it's like, learn from my mistake. I didn't know. Yeah. Because um, I hear that a lot with, I didn't know. Everybody else is doing it. Why mm-hmm. didn't they teach me? Why, did, why was my listing taken down? Why was my account frozen when there's 200 of them for sale? You know, it's just impossible for eBay to police every single thing. Yeah. But it seems like the innocent, just unknowing people like you are the ones that get caught. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do it again. So well, yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, yeah. <laughs> I listed, um, it was a, a Simpsons, like the Simpsons TV show, a uh, baseball cap. And that got pulled for copyright infringement, apparently whatever the Warner Brothers or whoever produces that, um, you know, had had that on their radar. And I was like, I sell baseball hats all the time. Like, yeah. I didn't know. And so I don't pick up anything anymore with the Simpsons on it because it's just kind of sketchy and, you know, just because something's on the Vero list doesn't mean you can't sell it. You have to look at what the criteria is. Yeah. So for example, um, all those MLM home party things, Mm -hmm. um, some of those are on the Vero list, but it's, if you are a distributor, if you work for the company, you're not supposed to, to resell it. But if you're like us, just a third party out there that finds it at a, a yard sale, then yeah, you can do it. Yeah, when I was into the LuLuRoe stuff, you know, several years ago, I think I got, was it LuLuRoe that they were trying to tell me that I shouldn't be selling? And I'm like, I'm not a, you know, I'm not one of the sellers of it. Um, Although I don't feel like I get those nasty letters so much anymore. I right. Feel like it was, I feel like there was a time in like 2018, 2019, where people were reaching out more and saying, no, you can't sell these. and not knowing whether or not they were legit or like another seller just trying to scare you from selling. I don't know. Yeah. And a side note on Lula road. Did you watch that show that's circulating on streaming? It's called Lula rich. 
There's two, right? I think there's one on like HBO and the one on like Netflix. And I've seen part of both of them. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah. Just uh, for the listeners, like what happened with, you know, that was very popular for a while. And then the, um, the way MLMs work is you have the parties and people order stuff and then you place the order and then it comes in and you just pass it out to the people who bought it. Well, what the LuLaRoe uh, system was is uh, for the distributors to buy as much as they could up front yeah. so that they could get their commission. And they were they ended up with all this overstock they couldn't sell. And there was a time maybe, I don't know, 2019-ish, where mm-hmm. you just saw so much of it in the thrift stores because it was these uh, distributors that had all this overstock and they didn't have a way to get rid of it. So they just donated it and took the, the tax write-off. That documentary was very enlightening as to what happened within the company and um, what happened to the people that trusted the higher ups and um, the whole thing just blew up. So still to this day, I I come across LuLaRoe and it's like, oh, if it's a fun pattern and I want to wear it, I'll buy it. But I don't sell any of it. No, no. And the, I think it's important to note that a lot of their quality went down with all of that. Like people were yes. talking about having holes in the middle of their leggings. Mm-hmm. And then also LuLaRoe's business model was to make all these very unique patterns and only make so many of a specific pattern to make it coveted. And so there were a lot of really ugly patterns and those sellers would have to buy that inventory, not knowing what kind of patterns or anything they were getting. So I do remember seeing some of that documentary and just seeing how much people had invested in inventory and then just being stuck with that product. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think there's a couple of Disney patterns that are worth something, but um, yeah, they intentionally made limited editions so it would mm-hmm. be valuable. But you are right. Some of those patterns are just so horrid. Yeah. It's like, who who designed this? This is so ugly. Who would wear this? Well, I think they <laughs> talked too about how like they were stealing patterns from other designers. Like, yes. Was, yeah. Because they were having to make so many unique patterns. And so, Yeah. And that, I think I mentioned that, that this a disaster. from a copyright standpoint, when you do that, copy a pattern, um, it has to be like 20% different, whether it's uh, the color's not exactly the same, like, oh, it looks like Lily Pulitzer, but, you know, it's it's just off a little bit. And, you know, that's what they're doing is um, is copying these established patterns, but making them slightly different. So it's still legal. Yeah. I think it's just laziness. Like make up your own pattern. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Do you have um, one more thing you want to share before we wrap it up? So here's an interesting learning from my eBay sales this year. I typically like to find things that are going to be easy to sell in terms of like easy to ship. That's not to say that I won't go out of my way for like the right item. Um, But also things that are new in box. Um, I will almost always pick it up if the price is right. Um, And one of the things that I found was something called a hackaball. And it was a programmable coding ball that was meant to be used in like classroom settings. It was a Kickstarter item, you know, brand new, literally had not been taken out of the box. I remember hearing about it when it was being sold, you know, in the stores, but it had been discontinued. Well, unfortunately for me, um, I sold it for $70 after having bought it for 10, got it to the person and they couldn't get it to work. And the reason they couldn't get it to work is because it required the use of an app. And the app was no longer available on the Apple um, store. So I had to refund their money. And I feel bad because I had, I assumed that the app was still available and it wasn't. So I will be more careful with that with electronics moving forward. 
Good point. Yeah, there's a lot of those trial products out there. Mm -hmm. And I I did. I thought it could still be used in a classroom setting because it was it was a way to teach kids coding. And that was a little bit of a disaster. (laughs) We all have them. (laughs) Maybe that should be the name of my next book eBay disasters. Yes. <laughs> Get people to, to write in like, here's what happened to me. You don't do this. <laughs> That's one of it. Yeah. I did sell a lot of um, West Elm pillow covers that I acquired from our Habitat store. They had grossly like overmarked what they were selling for in the store. So they were sitting there for months at like 40 or $30 per pillow cover, which is, you know, right along the lines of retail if you're buying them from West Elm or Pottery Barn. And mm-hmm. one day I went in there and just happened to ask, are you guys not like ever going to put these on sale? She was like, yeah, we don't have it, but we ring them up for like, we don't have a sign saying it, but we're bringing them up for $6 a piece. And I was like, and let's go. And so that's the magic number. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And did, how much did you sell them for? Do you remember? Um, so tried to sell them in matching pairs of like two pillows, but one set, um, I sold for $78. Nice. Not bad for a $12 investment. Very good. Yeah. I've sold some West Elm stuff. I don't see it very much, but, um, that is a high dollar brand retail. Yes. 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 Trendy as they say. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, did you want to answer one of the questions at the end? Sure. Okay. Which question would you like to answer? You're probably not doing a lot of leisure reading right now with your life so busy. I actually, because I'm on vacation from work and because I've got a school break, I have actually started reading a book. Oh, good for you. Yes. But I can answer the favorite podcast. You can answer whatever you want. You can do both. It's fine. So the book that I'm reading right now is about, is called Ultra Processed People. It was on the NPR recommended books for 2023. Um, And it's a little scary, but it's very enlightening about how our diets are impacted by all of these processed foods. And it's really making me evaluate what I am, I'm eating. So if you don't want to be scared about what you're eating, don't read this book. Um, but then the, my favorite podcast, um, if you want to ask me that question, I can answer that question. Sure. Favorite podcast. Go for it. Is the moth, um, which is a storytelling, um, group. It's a, I think it's a nonprofit and they bring in people to tell 10, 15, 20 minute stories. They do story slams and it's just it's fun. Actually, during my half marathon a couple of weeks ago, I listened to stories from the moth just to keep my mind, you know, going and away from what I was actually doing. And it's just, it's one of those things that one story will make you laugh out loud. And then another one will bring you to tears because it's so, it's so moving. Wow. And you're a runner too. You just, how much more can you fit in your life? Nothing. <laughs> Well, I know you have an exercise class to get to, so uh, we will wrap it up. But um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Um, I know this will be an inspiration to a lot of people who maybe feel like they don't have time to do this, or um, maybe they feel bad that they're not doing eBay as much as they want. But, you know, you're going to move through this chapter of your life and um, eBay will be there for you. And, you know, you can get back to it once you have that master's degree hanging on your wall to look at every day. Good for you. So I commend you on the amount of stuff you're juggling. And um, we'll just keep looking for you on the Facebook group. All those great sales you have. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Megan. Bye. On to today's trivia question. Since Megan lives in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and has sold some Piedmont Airlines items, when did Piedmont Airlines go out of business? 
Here is a few seconds to think about it. Okay, the actual date was August 5th, 1989. Piedmont Airlines was an airline in the United States that operated from 1948 to 1989 when it was acquired and merged into U.S. Air. Its headquarters were at 1 Piedmont Plaza in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, a building that is now part of Wake Forest University, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I jumped over to eBay to look at current listings that include the keywords Piedmont Airlines. As of this date, there are 2,437 listings for items with those keywords, everything from actual models of planes to uniforms to any of the um, dinnerware or um, those types of logoed items that were used on the planes, ticket stubs, all kinds of stuff. So just a suggestion, if you are a pack rat and have saved any airline memorabilia, not just Piedmont, but any, look those up. Those ticket stubs could be worth something. And the airlines that are now defunct will be worth the most, obviously, because they went out of business and that is a piece of airline history. So I just thought that was fascinating. Uh, I lived in Charlotte from 88 to 94 and this was going on when I was in North Carolina. U.S. Air was the big airline there so um, this was kind of uh, a little walk down memory lane for me as well. Okay next week my guest is Dee, a longtime member of my Facebook group who I finally got to connect with and she sells some really cool stuff. So make sure you tune in for that. Thanks to all you listeners out there for supporting this podcast. And I'll be back next week. Have a profitable and productive week on eBay. Bye for now.